My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. Hello everyone, just a quick note about this episode. It was recorded a few days before my son was born and passed. I would like to dedicate this episode to him and to anyone that has experienced loss that they may continue to do things that they enjoy. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello everybody, it's me, Brock, your host. Today I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, I'm a little short on time this week, just a lot of stuff going on with work and, and having family over and everything. So what I'm going to do is go through a bunch of my interview questions for myself. So I'm interviewing myself, and then hopefully that'll give you a little bit better idea of uh, who I am, why and how I got started into tabletop role-playing games, why I just started, decided to start the podcast, um, and then I'm going to talk about some of the games that I've played in, some of the games I've run, how I have um, prepped my games, and a little bit of information on one-shots that I like to do. So to get, uh, let's just jump right into it. So tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, my name is Brock, as you know, I'm 28. Um, I'm married, I have a daughter, she's about two. And we also have a dog, Rocco, he's very loud. You've probably heard him faintly barking in the background of some of, some of the episodes. How did I get started in tabletop role-playing games? Now, I think I've talked maybe bits and pieces of this on some of the other podcasts, but essentially I got started in college. Uh, there was a couple of groups that I hung out with that both had D&D games going on. So one was through uh, one of the workplaces that I was at um, during an internship uh, that was located on campus uh, at the college. There was a group there that had played D&D. They had a, a, like a weekly session or something. There was another um, group that was from the robotics team that um, was had a D&D session as well. So, And I guess if you don't know this about me, I went to engineering school. Um, I majored in computer science, so I do software development now. Um, and hence the robotics team at college. And essentially, both of those groups that were playing D&D, they had running groups, they weren't, they'd been playing for a while and they weren't really taking on new people. So I was kind of the only one, you know, like the fifth wheel sort of deal, nobody to play with. And I I'd never actually found a D&D group to play with in college. So what I ended up doing was, you know, realizing, hey, there's more than just D&D out there. So I started looking at different systems to get an idea of, you know, just what exactly was all out there. Of course, being a huge Star Wars nerd, I managed to find the Star Wars role-playing games by Fantasy Flight, um, specifically the Age of Rebellion uh, game. Uh, that one focuses on the uh, kind of struggle between the Rebellion and the Empire, more of the military aspects, military uh, missions. Um, and so I bought their beginner box, a pretty good product, um, but maybe a bit difficult of a, of a starting off point for getting into role-playing games because they use their own custom narrative dice and 
there's a lot there's a lot that I like about the system. It's a dice pool system. Uh, you have different symbols that cancel each other out, either good and bad, which gives you a mix of possible results, right? So you can succeed, you can fail, you can succeed with a bonus or uh, succeed with the penalty, or you can fail with the bonus or fail with the penalty. There's a bunch of different options, much more than the binary yes or no that you get in a common D20 system. So uh, I was I was the main person reading this and um, and then trying to put together a game which consisted of you know my wife my sister and maybe a couple of other friends uh, that had never really played role playing games before let alone jumping into something maybe that difficult um, as a dice pool uh, narrative dice uh, game so needless to say the first uh, the first few sessions that I ran did not go very well, and since uh, pretty much everybody else that I played with was not necessarily super on board with RPGs, that kind of fizzled a little bit. Um, but I did get uh, a real love for the system and for the dice pools, um, which I think has kind of influenced some of the things that I've, um, some of the games that I'm interested in now moving forward. So fast forward a little bit, um, picked that up in college, started kind of getting hooked on RPGs, but never really truly was able to play in a game and really see how it was done from somebody who was used to playing. So fast forward, um, friend from school um, that we had, uh, my wife and I had both worked with during college, um, got a job where, you know, we've all graduated at this time, and he got a job in a neighboring town pretty close to where we were living at the time and um, I didn't realize this but he was actually um, playing in and running uh, D&D 5th edition games and so you know we had talked to him a little bit about it and was like well hey you know I wouldn't mind running another game you know every week every other week whatever and so um, he started running a game for my wife and my sister and so that was D&D 5th edition. Um, that campaign ran for about a year. Uh, my first ever D&D character was a monk, uh, which was pretty fun. Um, so I, I have a kind of a soft spot in my heart for monks now. Moving forward, I always want to figure out how to build them in other systems. And... That game lasted for about a year. Uh, pretty, pretty frequent game. I even got to run a one-shot. Uh, that went okay. Um, but that was probably a much... It was much better than my previous attempts since I had actually played in and experienced uh, a role-playing game firsthand for quite a while before actually jumping into that one-shot. Um, like I said, that campaign lasted about a year, and then he accepted another job that was much farther away, so that kind of ended the frequent uh, sessions, and at that time we really didn't do much with online plays, so Roll20 or anything, um, and so that kind of fizzled out a little bit. About that time, um, I also found Dungeon World and started getting interested in a lot of the Powered by the Apocalypse games, um, largely for their simplicity and getting back to that mixed 
results. Uh, so the, you know, six minus is a fail, seven to nine is a partial success, and uh, 10 plus is a, a full success. So getting back to those mixed results that I was used to seeing in the uh, Fantasy Flight Star Wars system. And the Dungeon World rule set just seemed a little bit easier for me to run. There was just, it felt like less stuff that I had to keep track of. And then also made it easier to handle the player's character sheets because I wasn't trying to manage multiple fifth edition sheets um, between everybody. And since I am the one that likes to actually read through rule books and understand mechanics and learn classes and stuff like that, I, you know, that's a lot of information that I was kind of taking on uh, as a as a DM, where um, my wife and sister don't get as uh, into memorizing all of that stuff. That's just kind of how my brain works. So switching to Dungeon World just was a lighter load for me to run. It definitely was. An adjustment though getting used to not rolling for monsters and trying how do you react to um, to players and how do you you know make monsters you know dangerous when everything is only reacting to the players uh, so that was a bit of a hurdle to get over but um, as we continued playing in kind of a um, handful of one shots from there uh, and kind of a slight campaign um, Things have been have been a little bit better there. I understand how to run those Powered by the Apocalypse games a little bit more. So games that I've run and played, so 5th edition, Dungeon World, the Star Wars um, Fantasy Flight games, um, those are the main ones that I have actually played in and actually run. Why did I start the podcast? Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, a few months ago, I was actually looking at starting a YouTube channel and, you know, I've seen a bunch of, um, you know, there's Matt Colville and there's Dungeon Dudes and there's all sorts of, uh, D&D related YouTube channels with just tips and, and whatever. And I wanted to do something similar, um, just to kind of build something. I also, uh, had, uh, I mentioned that I do software development. I also do a little bit of web development and stuff on the side. And so part of that is making like random web apps, um, to help me with games or whatever. And I have been putting together a couple of different things. Um, the main one being a, uh, Magic the Gathering stat block generator. So basically it and it's built for 5th edition just because that's what I was playing at the time when I was working on it. Um, basically, it takes a random card uh, from their um, API, or from the Scryfall API, actually. It takes a random card from there, and it basically does, punches it through a bunch of math that I came up with to generate a 5th uh, edition stat block. And then it displays it with the, the card art and the stat block, and then there's a bunch of filters that you can do to um, basically pick, like, I want a random undead creature or whatever, and, and the idea is you could just get inspiration quick, and it would just give you a stat block based on um, a bunch of math, based on how expensive the card is, how rare the card is, um, how much health and stuff that it has, what type 
uh, what color it's um, of mana it uses. All those sorts of things factor into um, basically determining the stats, and then it's essentially it normalizes um, all of the Magic the Gathering cards onto a scale from uh, the smallest Magic the Gathering card should be like CR one half or one, and then the biggest creature in the game, which is like an Eldrazi something, should be like a CR 30. And that's kind of, so basically everything in that range gets kind of, crunches the numbers and it puts out a stat block. And you can get to that on the website, um, DungeonMastersToolkit.com. And then I forget what the full extension is. I'll put the link in the description and, and it lets you pull back um, uh, these stat blocks. So there was a, I've, I often have random ideas for like a random generator or some weird app. And so um, I got the website up. I started putting my apps out there like that. Um, and then now I haven't spent as much time on those. Uh, but then I, from that, I, I decided I wanted to do something adjacent to that. So to get more people to see the website and the tools that I had. So I thought YouTube channel would be great. Um, I've got a lot of ideas for things that I can talk about. Um, a couple of those being the things I'm going to talk about next um, for running one shots and uh, prepping my games. Um, and I thought, you know, that would all work together. And I was trying to come up with, you know, I, I want to be consistent with a YouTube channel. I want to try and put out content once a week. Um, so I need like, if I'm going to get through the year, I want to do 52 uh, videos on something. So I was kind of going through and made my huge list and I got to like 25, 26 and I was like, ah, like I'm just kind of, kind of stumbling for ideals here. Let's, what else could I do? And then I thought, Hey, I could, you know, I could interview people. That might be kind of fun. I could interview just random dungeon masters on the internet. I know there's a ton of people out there, you know, that haven't gotten a chance to share their expertise with everybody else or um and a lot of them maybe don't have youtube channels or don't plan on sharing that information in any you know major way to get it back out to the community and i also kind of figured we've all seen interviews with like matt colville or matt mercer or you know some of those like really big names in uh, the tabletop role-playing uh, space. We've seen interviews. We know kind of how they run because there's live streams of them or whatever. Um, or, you know, they're just so popular that people want to interview them. And don't get me wrong, I would love to interview them as well. But I thought, hey, it would be kind of cool if we just interviewed, you know, your average Joe, your average guy or girl that runs D&D uh, &D or any system, really, because... Again, I think that there's a lot of information or a lot of tips that we can learn uh, for running a game of D&D by learning what or how somebody runs a different system. Because there's all these little, every system does certain parts really well and other parts not so well. So trying to pick the best parts and the tips to make your game better with regardless of the system, I think that that's really cool. So I put that post out there and... Um, I had a great response. I had, I think I had about 60 people respond. Uh, so going once a week, that's over a year's worth of interviews that I can do. Um, 
And then as you guys know, I've been putting out, um, I put out a form on the Discord and the Reddit, and I've been getting pretty consistent new additions to that list. Uh, so I think I'm pretty close to about two years worth of um, interviews that I can do. So it's, it's a big backlog for sure. Um, and anybody listening, if you guys aren't on the Discord server, please um, join the Discord server because when I have random time slots open up, I do post about it. Um, and so, uh, and whoever gets in and can sign up for those slots um, is going to get interviewed first. So I'm going to try to go through my main backlog kind of in order to try to get everybody interviewed. But um, I know stuff happens and uh, I just try to um, at least post slots on, on the Discord when they come up. Um, so you might be able to get in sooner if you're on the Discord and just kind of watching for that. So just a, a tip if you want to get interviewed sooner, uh, check out the Discord server. There is a role you can auto-assign yourself in the role sign-up channel that will let you get notified when new slots open up. So I back on that Reddit post, I had posted that Reddit post actually um, a couple days after some news that we had received. So um, for those of you who are on the Discord server, um, you are probably aware that my wife and I are dealing with some... Um, with a pregnancy that is not going as planned and uh, likely will not um, finish as planned. Um, and and I had been thinking about um, all this, like, interviews and all this video stuff, like, the week before we got this news. And so then, you know, waited to post anything to Reddit about it and uh, was just kind of thinking, you know, should I do this? Should I not do this? I know that we've got this kind of major life event coming up that we're going to have to deal with. It's going to, um, I'm going to probably have to stop doing interviews and stuff for a while or stop putting out content. Whatever I'm doing, I'm going to have to stop for a little bit. And I guess one of the, the, the big things that I felt at the time when I was trying to get started with this was, you know, I need to have something to do that's going to, uh, give me something to look forward to, um, during the days and the weeks and and just kind of be happy with and really with everything that we're dealing with I don't want to lose part of me that um I find enjoyable right I don't want to I'm I'm more afraid of becoming a shell of my former self than just trying to latch on to the things that I, I enjoy and uh keep moving keep moving forward which is just kind of what uh, everybody's been telling us to do at this point uh not always that easy but so I apologize if that's a little bit heavy for a podcast episode, but that's kind of where I'm at um, mentally with getting the podcast started. And I have to say I've talked to, um, what is it, eight people now that I've done interviews with, and it has been a blast. And every time I have an interview, I usually come out of it just beaming and so excited. Um, and it just really brightens my day after I've gotten a chance to just nerd out with somebody about uh, something that I enjoy. So to you guys, thank you for uh, participating in my interviews and looking forward to my interviews every week. Um, it's a lot of fun for me. It keeps me busy. Um, and yeah, I've just been really, really enjoying uh, the process. And I'm learning a lot too, because 
I haven't been running games for that long. I, some of you have been running games longer than I've been alive, so there's definitely a lot of information um, and just tips that I would never have thought of that I'm getting to learn uh, without actually running games. So that gets me into the next section that I want to talk about, which is running one-shots at the start of a campaign. So... Everybody has heard of Session Zero, where you get together with your friends and you say, we're going to, you know, this is kind of what my pitch is for the campaign. These are the things that you'll be doing. You maybe make characters and then you jump right in and you get going. And what I'm talking about here, I kind of like to call Session Negative One, um, because, you know, we already had a session zero and I, I needed to put something right in front of that. And what this is, this session negative one that I'm going to refer to it as, as a, is a one shot with pre-generated characters most of the time. And it's a one shot that gets players interested. Maybe uh, they're new to role playing games, so just to learn a system, or maybe you're experienced um, pl uh, role players, but you're trying out a, a new system for the first time, you know, it's kind of a trial basis to get people hooked. And then you take that, you run this one shot for them, they're hooked, then you run into session zero and start a long-term campaign off of that. Now, this exists uh, in different forms. The Fantasy Flight, um, the starter boxes that they have for each of the games, so Age of Rebellion, Edge of the Empire, Force and Destiny, they all have a little intro module, essentially, which will take you a couple of hours to complete, so maybe one or two sessions. But the, the cool thing about it is that it gives you a hook to actually start a long-term campaign off of. So what I've tried to do is kind of take that um, initial setup from uh, basically coming up with a one-shot that's just a little a little module and then tie that into a, a bigger, longer-term narrative or at least have the option for it to become a longer-term narrative where the players can now come in and create their own characters uh, to play in a longer-term campaign. So I'll give you the example from the Fantasy Flight one. And then I'll also give you an example of the one that I'm running now uh, that I just finished up the session negative one um, a couple weeks ago. And then I'll also give you one that you could do for D&D and then kind of talk about um, some of the benefits that you get out of running it in this way. So the Age of Rebellion has a basically a commando mission where you um, it comes with pre-generated character sheets and everything and like backstories and everything so you um, players can all pick which commando they want to use and the premise is they're going into this imperial listening post and they have to basically take it out um, and clear out all of the imperials clear out the general that's stationed there um, and after they've completed that, now they've got a stolen Lambda shuttle that they can use. They have a, a small listening post that they can use as a forward to base. Um, and they've gotten a chance to play the game, see how the mechanics work, um, 
play a character and kind of decide if they liked the character or if they want, you know, when they make their character, if they want to do something completely different. And essentially the wording at the very end of the campaign or of this, this mission is, you know, you take the base, blah, blah, blah. And the, the rebels are sending in new recruits to um, be trained at the facility and start doing missions, right? So the commando force, uh, pre-generated characters, you take over the base, and then immediately after you've taken the base, base is secure, new recruits come in, come in, okay? That's where you can jump into character creation because they can make whatever character they want and just say that they are a new recruit coming in on the next shuttle, uh, and then you can kick off your long-term campaign, and they also give you a handful of ideas of, you know, there's a rival Imperial station that you might have to deal with, or whatever. They give you some off-world stuff that's nearby that you can do. And so it's a really good way, I think, to hook players on the system, get them familiar with the game uh, without having to do all of the work of, you know, going through character creation. Because that can, especially with games like... Um, the Fantasy Flight ones, or the, like, a 5th edition D&D. Like, there's a lot of math involved, especially for somebody who's never played the game or is maybe even completely new to tabletop role-playing games. Um, there's a lot going on, and you can get really bored if you don't know what you're doing uh, for the first time, trying to make a character and not knowing if you're doing them, if you're making them good or not, or even if you're going to like playing that type of character, right? Um... When I played 5th edition, my first character was a monk, as I mentioned. And I really liked the idea of how the monk works, but he just, I was kind of trying to play him as like a dodge tank, and he just didn't quite have, he, he just didn't quite play the way that I wanted him to, or that I was expecting him to, which then makes it hard if you're in a long term campaign and you're not able to easily switch characters. Um, so letting players come in um, and just play with a pre-generated character that they think they'll like, and then if they love it, then great. They can just make basically make another copy of that character, maybe with a different species or something, a couple different bonuses, whatever. They're good to go. Or they could come in, play, and be like, oh, that did not play the way I thought it would, or maybe the, the game master runs things differently than I thought, and certain skills aren't that useful, so I'm not going to focus on those skills. Um, focus on something different because you know different game masters will focus on different aspects exploration combat social encounters whatever and you know that may kind of change your mind as to, to what you want to play long term so that was the fantasy flight example um the edge of the empire one that i'm running now i basically did the same thing um and gave the uh, characters um, is completely unrelated mission, right? I just said, here's a mission. I'm gonna. I made the Star Wars, uh, the main heroes from the Rebels cartoon because most of my uh, players were familiar with the cartoon and the characters, and said, hey, pick any one of the characters that you want to play. I'll make the character sheets for them. I'll give them to you, um, and then I just gave them a mission to infiltrate an asteroid base, um, which I will talk about a little bit more when we uh, talk about the. Uh, prepping games portion and said you know here's your mission here's the constraints to the mission go do it and then once it's done if you guys want to play in a long-term campaign then we'll talk about the setting and what kind of characters you want to play and whatever and so that was that one 
Now, those are both Star Wars, both sci-fi. How could you do that with fantasy, Dungeons and Dragons, and I, I know that everybody listening, for the most part, is a dungeon master, so you got, your guys' gears are probably already turning here. So one that I had thought up a while ago for a D&D style game, or it could work for Dungeon World 2, is to do the same thing, pre-generated characters, and if you're doing D&D, I would maybe make, maybe give um, each of the archetypes maybe a couple uses of a special higher level ability, uh, like for a wizard, for example, I would maybe give them like a couple uses of fireball or a couple higher level spells. Don't don't like overload them, but give them some fun things that they can do that you know they maybe couldn't do at like first level, right? But give them some of the fun kind of tropey things um, to be able to do. And what you're gonna do is you're gonna have those pre-generated characters, or maybe ask the, ask your players ahead of time what class they want to play and then make a pre-generated character for them and then start them at the basically the entrance or just inside the entrance of a dungeon with uh that a dragon has made its lair right this is dungeons and dragons after all right and we never seem to see these darn dragons uh right away at least so we're just going to come out of the gate swinging and your party is like, you know, kind of a somewhat renowned group of adventurers, and you know that there's some cool magic items. Maybe tell them what uh, cool magic items or loot the dragon is guarding. And make it a pretty tough um, encounter. And by that I mean, by the end of the dungeon, they should be pretty beat up, and they should get into this final battle with the dragon on the inside. And, you know... Let them beat it up a little bit, but by the end of the fight, this session is going to turn into a total party kill. Let the let the dragon loose. Let it rip their heads off. Just and eat somebody whole. Whatever you got to do, make it memorable. Wipe out the party, right? And now. For a lot of you are probably like, what total party kill? That's that's insane. Um, but now you have a little bit of a story piece here. So that's the end of the session. The um, the the clock ticks forward a little bit, right? You know, five, ten years, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a whole lot. But this party of adventurers becomes somewhat of a... a local legend or a, a myth, right? And people maybe don't even think that that cave has a dragon in it anymore or whatever right but now you have this this piece of lore right you have this location on the map it's a high level location the players have been through the dungeon before they know they know what the stakes are they know how strong the dragon is um you know they know that each maybe each of their characters started out with a cool magic item uh, special sword special shield spell book whatever that's all in there. It's still there to this day, and it's just on the map, just waiting for your your new party of adventurers to eventually uh, get the courage to go back and actually fight through that dungeon a second time and, you know, kill the dragon and actually claim the loot that they attempted to get the first time, right? So you have this kind of neat, um, uh, kind of a lore-building 
exercise where you you create this location with this stuff uh, magic items or whatever and you tie some people to it and then you kind of put it out there you know you wipe the party and you you know you time jump forward a little bit everybody gets to make characters right it's the same situation they get to know okay i didn't really like playing as a wizard i'm gonna try something different or whatever it is they've played they understand they're like okay i'm ready to just jump in let me make my own character i'm so ready so excited and then set them loose on whatever other plots you want to have but just in the back of their mind know that they can go back to that dungeon when they feel ready to take on that dragon and try and get that loot again. So I think you could do this even in the midst of um, a regular, a long-term campaign too. You could say, you know what, we're getting kind of tired of the characters that we're playing. Maybe let's take a break from them. Let's do a one-shot that's set in the past, maybe takes place during a historical event of some kind. Maybe there was an invasion or something and let them uh if, if it's an experienced uh experienced group you could probably let them make their own characters and whatever within maybe a certain bounds of whatever that event was but have them participate in like a siege of a castle or some other major historical event that you know was crucial to the development of the kingdom that you're serving now right and have them play the good guys have them play the bad guys maybe you know um and let them build that lore in that history. You know, you could just, all you have to say is there's this huge battle and this team won or lost, right? And then go in and play out that battle. You don't have to necessarily know ahead of time how it happened. You let the players will show you how it happened. Um, and you can use that to build pieces of the, lo uh, of the lore of the world and also to... Um, take a break from the stuff that you're currently playing, or if you don't have something prepped, you can just drop in, play something fun, be over the top, not too worried if your character's going to die or whatever. So those are my kind of three examples of ways that you could jump in and do this. Um, but as a recap of a session negative one, um, it's just a one-shot with pre-generated characters so people can either learn the new system or learn RPGs in general. And then it may or may not have some sort of a tie into a session zero and a long-term campaign. Now that I've talked about session negative zero, let me talk about how I um, like to prep my games. So this has evolved a little bit as I've played games. But the thing that I really find interesting about tabletop RPGs is that they can be, I mean, they are inherently a sandbox to some degree, right? Like, you can try to railroad your players as much as you want, but there is some degree of freedom that they have in the fact that this is not a video game or a board game, and that they can just, they can and will attempt to do something that you have not thought of. Um, it might be a creative solution to a problem that they're, that they have, or they may just completely veer off course and go and be like, oh, this seems really interesting. I want to follow that up. And it was just, you know, some minor, uh, piece of information that you dropped, right? I mean, I think we've all had that. So there's some inherent freedom or flexibility that, that players have because of the nature of it just being a tabletop role-playing game. So what I like to do is not prep for every scenario of something, right? I don't like to prep 
um, events necessarily. Uh, maybe that's the wrong word. I don't like to prep, uh, prep outcomes or solutions. What I like to do, uh, and if any of you have played the Dishonored games, I like to do it kind of like their level setup, where each level is a mission, or each mission essentially, has this big sandbox area, but it is also somewhat contained, right? Like it's not infinite. You can't just go, not like Skyrim where you can just go everywhere. It's It takes place over a still fairly large area, but it is confined to whatever you're doing. So for example, one of them you're trying to um, rescue somebody from a certain district, certain certain building, try not to get into spoilers. And the main uh, kind of areas that you can go through is kind of the alleyways to get to that building. And then the building itself is fairly large. There's multiple ways in and out, um, multiple ways to um, deal with the people inside and rescue the person you're after, right? So what I like to do is take a nice big map of maybe a couple of areas that they're going to visit. So like the alleyway would be one and the building would be one and prepping them as realistically as, or prepping them, populating them as realistically as possible with characters or tokens. So I'm doing this on uh, Roll20 or Owlbear Rodeo, get my tokens out there. And then I just maybe give a couple of, um, stipulations or conditions that is true for whatever mission or quest that they're the party is dealing with and then i just drop them in right and say go nuts they can't you know as long as they stay within the bounds more or less of the the big map i'm good and anything is fair game right if you want to go in um quiet and not be seen perfect give that a shot if you want to go in guns blazing Perfect. Um, there are tokens that are hidden on the map that I just have put there ahead of time, and I will just have them respond as it makes sense to the fiction and what's happening with the players. So, for the example I mentioned earlier, that one shot, that rebel one shot that I did, uh, it I found a map of an asteroid base um, by Miska's Miska's Maps. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Um, I will put a link to the actual map. The map itself is, was free to download, um, but it's a really big, it's it's not super big. It's a fairly large asteroid base. And with that, I said, you know, the characters are heroes from the Rebels TV show. And I gave them a couple of conditions for dealing with the mission. And after that, I said, you are free to plan it however you want to plan it, and we can just go from there. So their mission was, this asteroid base is a secret weapons research facility um, deep inside of an asteroid belt, so it's difficult to get to with large ships, okay? That's the first stipulation, hard to get to with big ships. So you can't just, like, fly up to it, you know, with a big transport and, you know, offload 15 troops and go in or whatever. So got to be careful there. Second... Uh, so you have to take a small ship, is essentially the first part. Second part is the sensors and turbo laser batteries on the station um, would pick up a smaller ship, or any size ship for that matter, uh, before you could get too close. And since you have to take a small ship in, the turbo laser battery would just completely demolish 
whatever ship you're in um, before you could even get close enough to the asteroid base to do anything. So in order to get to and from, or so from your ship to the asteroid base um, and back, you'll have to, well, first off, you'll have to do, you know, put on spacesuits and get onto the base that way. And then to get off of the base, you'll have to either disable the turbo lasers in some way or, you know, and then, and then either steal a ship or have the ship uh, fly in. And what they're trying to do is um, rescue a defecting Imperial scientist. So Imperial scientist has information on uh, the weapons project that they're working on, and he's defecting. Um, that's about all the information you know. You know that he, as soon as he sees you, he will defect right away, and he'll, you know, help, basically help escape. Um, but other than that, you don't know where he's located at inside the base, um, and you have to deal with the turbo lasers to um, get into and off of the base. And that's it. Um, that's all I gave them. So I populated the base with a bunch of stormtroopers, officers, um, some dark troopers was the research uh, project. So I populated a bunch of dark trooper tokens in kind of an engineering bay that they were working on. And I, you know, I told them, I said, here's, here's the situation. You guys can plan this. You guys can talk separate from me, right? Like we have a group chat. If you guys want to talk about your plan with or without me, that's fine. Like, if you don't want me to know what your plan is and how you're going to attack this thing, then by all means, it doesn't matter to me. I The base is populated. It's just going to respond to rebel intruders, right? So um, we started out the session. They did a little spacewalk. I used the spacewalk as a way to, like, practice doing a couple of roles that had um, little consequences if, if they went poorly. And I said, hey, where do you... How do you want to try to get in the base? And so there's a main hangar base, main hangar bay uh, that they could have just kind of gone straight in for. But they're like, you know what? Is there like a vent or something kind of up in the back left side? There's like a computer server room. Can we try and get in there? So I had to make a roll. Said, yep, you guys can drop into the server room. So they actually started in like the back of this asteroid base. Um... And from there, I just, again, I let them go nuts and do whatever they want. So they ended up, since they were in the server room, they were able to hack into a terminal there um, to get a little bit of information about what was happening inside the base. I also let them override some of the door control so they could lock some of the doors, which would prevent troop movements. Um, then they ended up taking out um, a couple of the engineers that were right near the reactor core and setting some explosives um they then made their way through um, a couple corridors and, and it's like hey it kind of looks like there's a vent on this picture is there a vent and i'm like yeah sure there's a vent so i drew a vent crawled through the vent um dropped down on some unsuspecting scientists and took them out um ended up eventually finding the um scientist and then in order to get off they basically doubled back to that hangar Oh, they can't double back if they hadn't been there yet. So they made their way to the hangar, um, detonated the explosives, and kind of in the um, in the collapse of the station as like the whole thing is blowing up, they hijack a couple of TIE fighters um, and take off through the main hangar bay. So detonating explosives counts as, um, or on the, re the main reactor, counts as disabling the turbo lasers. 
Um, couple other options that I would have given them would have been to, you know, hack into the turbo lasers and maybe like set it to um, set the power level like super high so that it overheated or something. Um, placing explosives straight on the turbo lasers. Um, going in and killing the gunner that was manning the turbo lasers. You know, there's multiple ways they could have dealt with it, but they basically decided to just, just destroy the whole thing. Which is very uh, Star Wars-y uh, climactic end to a thing where the whole the whole station is starting to implode. And, you know, they're hopping into TIE Fighters. So they grab two of the TIE Fighters and started taking off. The one good pilot flies out no problem. The uh, other one that wasn't necessarily great at piloting. Um, if anybody's familiar with the characters, uh, the guy that was playing it was playing Zeb. Um, and he failed his piloting check, so I had his ship, um, skid across the floor of the, uh, hangar bay as he was taking off, um, but then I did let him get out, because it would have been kind of anticlimactic, but he, his ship took some strain as he drug it across the bottom of the, the hangar bay. Um, but that is how I like to prep games. Um, I like to get an area like a big sandboxy area that I can just populate with stuff and then drop the players in and let them react to it and let the let the environment and the NPCs react to them because it, to me it feels realistic and it's also pretty easy to prep. Like I just throw a map up and then I just drop in some tokens like, oh, this makes sense here, this makes sense here. Oh, it would be cool if this was a couple of people here. Oh, here, we'll put a couple of stormtroopers walking down the hallway. And... um. It just feels very real to me, and it just makes it a lot easier than to say, like, okay, so in this room, this thing happens, and in this room, this thing happens, and I need stat blocks for these people at this time, and I just drop the tokens on, and then when, if they encounter the tokens, great, if not, great, and then if, like, somebody makes a ton of noise in one room, and there's troopers in the other room, we'll just have them, like, rush over, you know, to help, and it just, just kind of intuitively makes sense. Now... I will say, for prepping stuff like this, the sci-fi maps kind of lend themselves better to this because it's usually like large buildings or warehouses or spaceports or whatever. Um, I find less of that with uh, Dungeons and Dragons maps or fantasy maps because a lot of them are like really specific set pieces or they're they're either really small or they don't have like enough detail. There's kind of a sweet spot where I want the map to be big enough that I can put individual tokens on it for each player and it makes sense it's not too zoomed out where you can't do that but it's also not so zoomed in where it's like it's like a 30 by 30 grid and there's not really a whole lot that can happen aside from dealing with a very very localized um interactions so i really like to have big maps for this um, especially ones that have a variation of like corridors and open spaces um, and those aren't always easy to find, especially for fantasy. It's more of an urban environment or a sci-fi environment that that seems to work well for. So if anybody has tips on where to find maps like that, please let me know because that is my favorite way to prep um, so far. It's quick. It's easy. I have another uh, with the Edge of the Empire game that I'm going to be running. Um, I essentially have a heist for them. Uh, that they're going to have to hijack a large... Well, they don't necessarily need to hijack the ship. They need to get the cargo off of the ship. 
um, they're getting paid to take the cargo. So um, each crate of cargo they can get, they'll get paid a certain amount, and however they want to do it is fine. I have I have a ship um, schematic uh, from the same guy, Mis Miska's Maps, um, and I populated it with like the amount of crew that would be on it and where they would be at, and then put a bunch of crate tokens in the storage bays, and I will tell them, you know, some information about, like, it's going to be docked at this space station at this time, it's going to take off at this time, and it's going here, and at some point between them, you know, being in that spaceport and getting to their destination, you got to hit the ship and get stuff out. So if you want to do it in transit, great. If you want to hit them when they're, like, loading the ship up, that's fine, too however you guys want to plan it and do it that's that's up to you guys and then i just have those things prepped and ready to go and whatever they decide then we just we just deal with it then so that is my notes on how i like to prep games and how i like to run one shots uh not one shots how i like to do a session negative one before session zero to get people interested um and a lot of that comes from the fact that most of the people that I end up playing with are board gamers, not necessarily role players. So I need a little bit uh, of a way to introduce them into how the game mechanics work. Um, but I think it's great if you're um, just running one shots in general, or if you are um, trying out a new system with a group, uh, run a session negative one. Um, and yeah, it all, it all works really good. Otherwise, um, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. I am really enjoying doing all of the interviews. Uh, I apologize that I couldn't get an interview out, uh, an interview with somebody else out this week. Um, but hopefully in the future, we will continue to be getting those interviews out and to you. And as always, if you guys are interested in being on the show, don't forget to drop over by our Discord server. Like I mentioned at the beginning, we do post when interview slots open up. Um, so you can get in on those. Um, we also have a bunch of people that are trying to organize some games. So if you're interested in getting in on a game or maybe running a game or a one-shot or trying out a new system, be sure to head over to the Discord and check that out. Otherwise, I will see you all next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.